I'm really excited to be back here with you today. It's been a few weeks since I have been here in the pulpit, and uh, I appreciate you affording me and my family the opportunity to go and to, and to be away at times and to spend time with family. That's really important to do, uh, and we appreciate you allowing us to do that. I was here the week before last, but my dad preached for revival, uh, and so I have been around. I've been here during the week, but uh, so today it's been like, this is Three weeks I've been out of the pulpit, so just get ready, okay? So I'm going to be ready to go today. Uh, but I'm excited to preach this word uh, that God has put in my heart, and I'm really thankful uh, that God has put some really great and godly young men here in our church that can stand and preach uh, when I'm absent, and they did a fantastic job uh, bringing the word to us uh, the last couple of weeks, and so I'm appreciative of that. That's good. You can clap for them. That's good. So today we're going to continue our series through the book of Hebrews, and today's sermon is entitled, A Better Mountain, and in our passage, the author of the book of Hebrews is drawing a comparison between two mountains, and so today as we start, we're going to play a game that I'm sure you've never played before because I made it up this week, okay? Uh, and this game is called Better Mountain, so we're going to choose which is the better mountain, okay? You ready? Number one. Appalachian Mountains or Rocky Mountains? I thought you might say that, yeah. All right, number two, Space Mountain or Splash Mountain? Sounds like space is winning, okay, that's good. Number three, Mountain Lion or Mountain Goat? Lions, okay, y'all are, are mean, y'all are picking lions. All right, number four, Mount Olive Pickles or Mountain Dew? Mountain Dew. My boys, it would have been a hard choice. They really love those pickles, so. Number five, Ain't No Mountain High Enough versus Rocky Top. I threw y'all a bone on that one, right? Well, the comparison that's being made in this passage this morning is Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. And he's writing here to a Jewish background Christians, his audience, that are considering returning back to Judaism. And as he's writing to them in this passage in particular, he's, he's saying, why would you want to return back to the law? Why would you want to go back to Sinai, because if we have Christ, we are marching to Zion. So if you have your Bibles open, I ask you to stand in honor of God's word if you're able. We're in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. The word of God says, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm." to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, 
to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Thank you. You may be seated. As we study this passage of Scripture today, the action step for us, as we, as we leave this place today, what I want us to, to walk out of here uh, taking with us is this, to accept and to announce the gospel, to accept to receive the good news of Jesus Christ for your salvation and to announce that good news to a world that desperately needs to hear about it. So to accept and to announce the gospel. Now, we said that he's drawing a comparison here between two mountains. And this first mountain that he describes is a mountain of separation. In verse 18, he says it like this. You've not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, to gloom and storm. Now, although the the name of the mountain is not given explicitly in this passage, the reference clearly Sinai. This is the mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's it's a symbol of the law. And the description of this mountain, frankly, is quite frightening. If you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus in chapter 19, in verse 10, I want you to hear the description of what this encounter was like. The Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he'll be stoned or shot with arrows and and not live, whether animal or human. And when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up the mountain. So Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. And on the third day when morning came... There was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud blast from a ram's horn, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain shook violently. And as the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. And the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and he went up. And the Lord directed Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. Even the priests who came near the Lord must consecrate themselves. The Lord will break out in anger against them. So Moses responded to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us. Put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. And so the Lord replied to him, Go down and come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord or he'll break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is a very vivid picture that the Lord gives us here in the book of Exodus. And and we begin to understand the fear of the people. They're coming near to a holy God. 
And this is a terrifying experience. Because you don't just stroll up to God. I mean, that's the whole point of everything that's happening in this passage of Scripture. He is holy and, and righteous and set apart and other. And we don't belong in his presence. We see that there's a word that's spoken on this mountain. In verse 19 of our text today, it says, To the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them. And the word that's spoken here is the covenant between God and man, the old covenant. It's the law. And the people are begging that no further word be spoken. Now, they're not rejecting God's word. We know that they accepted the covenant of God at Sinai, but it's showing us their fear and their awe of God. One commentator says, the people in their terror begged that no more words be added to those already spoken. The implication is that they were not rejecting God's word, but begging that nothing more be said directly to them. And the fear is found in this next verse, verse 20. They could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. They could not bear what was commanded. The reason for the command is that the people could not come into the presence of God because of his holiness. And the law confirms all of that. And so when when they heard these Ten Commandments, they knew that they didn't measure up. They knew that they were unworthy, that God is so holy and perfect and righteous that if even an animal touched the base of the mountain where he was, it would be stoned. Even Moses was fearful. In verse 21, it says that the appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And so the best way to describe this whole experience is that it's intense. This is an intense experience for the people as they see God coming down atop Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 24 and verse 15, it says, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai the cloud covered it for six days and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the cloud and the appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights So this is what the Israelite people are seeing from the base of the mountain. is this mountain that's enveloped in cloud and consuming fire. The glory of the Lord, his presence dwelling in that place. And there God spoke to Moses. He gave him instructions. As you read through Exodus, he gives them instructions about the tabernacle. He gives them instructions about all the articles within the tabernacle. And how he's to construct them precisely to these dimensions. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, what happens? The people had made a bronze cow to worship because he had been gone for too long. And Moses was so angry that he, he broke the two tablets that contained the Ten Commandments. 
And he goes back on to Sinai and he intercedes for the people. And those tablets are replaced. And when Moses returns a second time, this is the description that's found in Exodus chapter 34 at the end of the book. In Exodus 34 in verses 29 and following. It says, as Moses descended from Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And after he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had been commanded. The Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. Just his being in the very presence of God changed his countenance. We begin to grasp how pure, how holy, how bright the presence of God truly is. It's no wonder that when you come to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 5, the Bible says, people will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. That's what Moses was experiencing in this moment. But Sinai is a picture of just how lost mankind really is. It's a picture of what sort of judgment we're really due. The otherness of God that he's completely set apart from sin is evident. And his presence descended like a cloud of glory and majesty and awe-inspiring power. And when we begin to understand just how holy God is, we realize just how far we fall short of the glory of God. And this is acutely realized here at Mount Sinai. The holiness of God rested on the top of Sinai while the depravity of man is on display dancing around a golden calf at its base. I mean, there's a clear juxtaposition here. And one author writes that the fear which Moses and the people experienced in the presence of God at Sinai was motivated by their awareness of the infinite gap between their humanity and God's divinity. And we all come to this mountain of separation because we all come carrying sin. You do, you do, you do, I certainly do. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We may not be building a golden calf, but we build our own idols. We build our monuments to our own greatness. We build lives of selfish pride, and we build lives of sexual sin, and we build lives of hatred and anger and unforgiveness. We build lives of greed we have grievous sin in our land. Just this week, we had a gunman who is filled with evil who killed 21 people in a school in Texas. Just this week, we had a list of 
pastors and church workers filled with evil in our Southern Baptist churches who raped and molested church members. Our holy God is just as offended by our idols as he was by theirs. And our sin separates us from God. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's still holy and righteous and majestic. And we are unable to come up on his holy mountain on our own. That's what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not appealed to what is false, who's not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The one who can come before the Lord is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And the Bible tells us there's only one person who fits that bill. It's Jesus the Christ. And he did come up before the Lord God, but he came bearing our sin and our shame. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we're cleansed, we're reconciled to God, and we can approach the Lord if you accept this gospel this good news that Jesus bore your sins and suffered and died in your place but rose again for your salvation when you do that you'll be able to approach a different mountain a better one and that's the second part of our passage today is the mountain of salvation is the beauty of the passage in verse Verse 18, you've not come to a mountain. For Christians, we have not come to the foot of Sinai. We're not watching the lightning and the dark clouds descending on the mountain with the voice of thunder. We are approaching God through the Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 22, he says, instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and festive gatherings. Whereas the tone of Sinai was of fear and of judgment. Zion is obviously a place of joy and of rejoicing. Instead of fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind, here we have the eternal city, the, the heavenly Jerusalem. There are myriads of angels. There's the church. There's celebration. There's worship. There's no mourning or crying or pain. No death, no sin, no shame. None of that. You're the most alive that you could ever be. You're the most holy and pure that you could ever be. You're the most filled with joy and happiness that you could ever be because you're in the presence of God himself. Verse 22 says, but you have come. And that verb there is a perfect tense verb, which means that it is an action that has ongoing results. That means that we enter into a permanent place, an eternal, lasting, ongoing state. That means that this celebration is unending. 
It's a celebration of God's victory through Christ. And so why is this mountain so different? Verse 23, we come to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven to a judge who is God of all to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. What we see in this passage is that God is still completely holy, that God is still set apart. Verse 23, he is a judge who is God of all. And so it's not like there is no judgment here. God judges from his throne. Man is still sinful. He's just redeemed. We're forgiven. We're found to be righteous. That's what it says in verse 23. To the spirits of righteous people made perfect. How are they made perfect? Verse 24. By Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We are made perfect through the perfect sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And he has inaugurated a new covenant in his blood. He is the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through him. And our sins are washed away. And we're made holy. Because Jesus stands as our advocate. And we are reconciled to God again through the sacrifice of the Son. And what the passage tells us is... That there's a word that's spoken on this mountain as well. Remember the Israelites begged that no further word be spoken on Sinai. But we want to hear this word over and over and more and more. Verse 24. To the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks on our behalf. It calls us clean. It calls us forgiven. It calls us whole. It calls us sons and daughters. It calls us heirs of the kingdom of God. It calls us citizens of Zion. And at Sinai, the people dared not even touch the mountain or come near to God. But because of the blood of Christ, we can draw near to God. Revelation 21 verse 3 tells us God's dwelling is with humanity and he'll live with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And this is good news for us to tell a world that's lost and that's hurting. That there's hope. That there's healing that there's forgiveness, that there's a new day, that there's a different tomorrow, that there's salvation because of what Jesus has done for them. Back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, the Bible says, since we have this great high priest over the house of God, then let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed in pure, mount, pure water. He says, we can come near to God. That's, a, that's news worth telling. This is the mountain, he says, that we've come to. It's a better mountain. We are marching to Zion. So we need to accept and to announce this 
gospel. So Christians this morning, let us rejoice that we are marching to Zion. That there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Jesus paid our debt. That he's washed away our sin. That we belong to him. What a day for us to rejoice. And so we need to announce this good news. For years now, we've been talking about who's your one. It's a program that our North American Mission Board started for each and every single one of us to, to think about a single person, a particular person. It could be a part of your family. It could be your friend. It could be uh, a neighbor, a classmate, a coworker, someone that you know doesn't have this hope, that hasn't received this salvation in their heart, that you would commit to pray for them and that you would commit to announce this good news to them. Maybe today you want to spend some time in this altar or there at your seat lifting up the name of your one to the Lord. Calling on him to work in their life, to move in their life, to draw them to himself that they would repent and call on Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Maybe today you want to just spend some time thanking God, rejoicing in the relationship that you have with him for the forgiveness that he has brought you, for the work that he's done in your life. Maybe there are things on your heart that are heavy this morning. This has been a difficult week in so many ways. And so maybe there are things that you want to come and lift up before the Lord. The good news is that you can come near to him and call on him, and he hears you and answers in his power and his wisdom. And so maybe you want to spend some time in prayer this morning. But there are some here this morning, and maybe you're watching online, who need to trust in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And now you're standing at the foot of Sinai. You're, you're stuck in your sin. You recognize that you're separated from God because of your sin. But today I want you to know that there's forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. That you can be reconciled to God today through faith in him. That his death on the cross paid the price for all the wrong that you've done. That he rose again so that you could have hope, so that you could have life, so that you could have forgiveness in your heart. If today you will call on him to save you from your sin. So in a minute we're going to have leaders here across the front as we stand and sing in a time of response. And if that's the decision that you need to make today, then I want to encourage you to come and to call on Jesus to save you from your sin. But however the Lord is speaking to you today, now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you and praise you today that we have come to a mountain of salvation, that we are headed to Mount Zion. And Lord, I pray that we would celebrate, that we would rejoice Lord, that we would announce this good news to those who desperately need it. Lord, I pray for those who are here that have never made this decision in their heart to trust in Jesus as their Savior, that today would be that day that they would take that step of faith or that they would turn from their sin and call on Jesus to forgive them. And Lord, we pray that you would move during this time. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.